This podcast is recorded on the traditional lands of the Kamaregal people of the Gurungai tribe of the Eora Nation. I pay my respect to elders past, present and emerging, and I extend that respect to all Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander peoples who may be listening. Hi, my name's Luan and this is the Rewritten Mead podcast, where I talk all things breast reconstruction after a mastectomy. Because let's say it like it is, having a mastectomy can be devastating. Sifting through all the information is overwhelming, the medical jargon's bamboozling, and it can be just plain scary and lonely. But you're not alone. That's why we're here. On the Rewritten Me pod, I talk to leading surgeons about all aspects of reconstruction. Nipples, belly buttons, foobs, Dieppe flap, and staying flat. I also talk to healthcare professionals who can help with everyday practical advice to support your mental, physical, and emotional well-being. And I talk to the wonderful women from our reconstruction community who so generously share their stories with you. We're all here to help you make an holistic, informed decision that's right for you so that you can have a say in how you rewrite your story. Thank you for all your support and wonderful feedback for the soft launch of the Rewritten Me pod at the end of 2022. I'm excited to hard launch, shall we say, and I have some amazing guests lined up for this first series. There's lots of things that need to be thought about when you're considering what reconstruction is right for you. And surgeons have lots of options and approaches that they could take. They're what reconstructive plastic surgeon Dr. Joe Dusseldorp calls strategies, which might seem quite businessy, but Dr. Joe explains in this pod that it's about helping you focus on what's important to you so that you can navigate your choices and put together a plan that's right for you and based on shared decision making with your surgeons. So, talking to your surgeons about whether you want to say it, stay the same breast size, what about your nipples, is sensation in your breast something that's important to you? And have you had a previous surgery that might impact your reconstruction surgery? In this pod, Dr. Joe is talking about strategies in particular relation to autologous or own tissue reconstruction and DEP, when tissue is taken from the abdomen and used to reconstruct a breast or breasts. There are, of course, lots of different considerations when you're having reconstruction, of the breast or the chest wall, and there are other reconstruction options. And I'll be talking to surgeons in future pods about these. But first, here's my chat with Dr. Joe about some of the main strategies to consider for a Dieppe reconstruction. And be sure to listen to the end, because at the end of each pod, I'll be asking guests to read a lyric from a song, either a favorite lyric or something that relates to the topic that we've been talking about. So listen to the end of this pod to find out what Dr. Joe's is. It made me smile because it's actually one of my favourite songs. And as always, thank you so much for listening. Let me know what you think or if you have any questions or topics for future pods. My Insta details are in the episode notes, so drop me a DM. So welcome to the first series of the Rewritten Me podcast. I soft launched with a couple of introduction episodes at the end of December 2022, and this is my first live interview podcast. And who else could it be with, but with the OG surgeon of my Instagram live and someone who's been a huge support to me as I've evolved as a patient advocate. Yes, it's reconstructive plastic surgeon, Dr. Joe Dusseldorf. Dr. Joe is a Sydney-based reconstructive plastic surgeon. He consults through public and private clinics, 
and he has a particular focus on breast reconstruction and Dieppe flap reconstruction. Joe has a strong research focus and works with other scientists and clinicians through his role as a clinical senior lecturer at the University of Sydney. And that's reflected in his work as a reconstructive plastic surgeon, which I'm sure we'll be talking about more in later pods. But for now, let's chat to Joe about what things you need to consider when you're looking to get the optimal breast reconstruction result for you, in particular relation to autologous breast reconstruction. Or sometimes you might want to think of it as how you take a strategic approach to your breast reconstruction. So hi there, Joe. Hi, Luan. How are you? I'm fantastic and congrats on starting your pod. Oh, thank you. Eventually. <laughs> Thanks so much. I'm sure so many women are going to love it. Thank you. And it's really nice and a bit more chilled, isn't it, than Instagram Lives? Yeah, and no, I definitely don't have the uh, technical difficulties that we've faced on a few occasions. Yeah, yeah. So following the Instagram Lives, people have been asking for me to do a podcast. And while there's no options for questions at the moment, a podcast gives us a chance to unpick and discuss in some more detail the topics around reconstruction and especially around strategies, which is something that I know you and I have been talking about for about a year now, but it wasn't right for the lives. So I'm really thrilled that you've been able to join me today to talk about it. And especially because it's at the start of the first series of Rewritten Me, because it does set up the topics that people need to consider going forward. But firstly, I wanted to ask you, what do you mean by strategies? It sounds like a very business-like term, but we're still considering what it means personally and individually to women, don't we? Yeah, so I think it's it's really, I guess, yeah, you're right. It's kind of a um, a business term, but the reality is it's it's it points to the fact that there are so many options and choices to make that are very difficult if you're all at sea without a kind of a focused plan as to how you're going to navigate some of these choices and, and what's going to help you make those decisions. And it comes back to that shared decision-making model because, you know, the surgeon has a number of different strategies they could employ to try and get a good outcome for you, but without knowing exactly what's meaningful to you, it's impossible to, to get that right strategy. And so I think it sort of helps if, if uh, both sides of the decision-making team know, you know what the options are and, and what might be common strategies that we employ to get a good outcome. And so you know, I think there, there are two main broad sort of focuses, I would say, of, of strategic, strategic thought in my head when I'm doing an autologous breast reconstruction. And one is the optimal function and form of the breast. That's the primary goal of a breast reconstruction. It may sound obvious, but that's, you know, that's the case. And then the second is where we take that tissue from. So we call it the donor site. And in most cases, the 90% or so, that's the tummy um, because that's the Dieppe flap operation, which we've talked about before. And, and some of your listeners would be familiar, but it also could be the thighs or, you know, um, the, the back. You know, there are other places where we take other tissue from. But for today, we'll sort of focus on the tummy. So, yeah, I'd say that the, the strategy is really about how do we optimize the form and function of the breasts, firstly, and then how do we optimize the form and function of the tummy, secondarily. And there are literally within that we could unpack, you know, so many different levels. Um, and, you know, I think we'll get into maybe a little bit about that for the breast first. And I think it's really interesting as well, talking about that optimal breast reconstruction strategy, because it's, as you mentioned, there are different types of autologists or autologous 
uh, reconstructions. And it's about what's best for that patient, isn't it? And what they want, what's optimal for them. Yeah, and it must be said that it may not be autologous breast reconstruction. You know, so we, our message that went out during, you know, um, you know, the Brava Art campaign and Bra Day last year was that, it, you know, not everyone has to have reconstruction. We, you and I both know that. Sometimes we don't say it enough. And, and I know people who haven't had reconstruction sometimes feel that they haven't been heard. But the reality is that a lot of women want breast reconstruction, um, but some don't. And, and not all women can have it um, for different reasons. So, you know, the three main types of, of you know, treatment after mastectomy, there's obviously aesthetic flat closure. Uh, which is no reconstruction. There is implant-based reconstruction, and there's autologous breast reconstruction. Now, I'm a I'm a specialist microsurgeon, reconstructive surgeon, so I focus on autologous breast reconstruction. But you know, that's um, that. I just wanted to put that in context that there are other strategies that are even beyond what we're talking about today. And it's really important that we acknowledge that, particularly I think for our flat friends um, who are very passionate about making sure that aesthetic flat closure is one of those options that is given to women i.e. they don't want to have a breast reconstructed, but they have the chest wall reconstructed. Yeah, that's, that's perfectly you know, acceptable and it's something which we, you know, we have to not forget to talk about. Great. Thank you. And thanks for that reminder, Joe. So thinking about breast reconstruction from the autologous um, perspective, then just thinking about the strategies for optimal skin, nipple, volume and sensation with in relation to that breast being reconstructed. What are the strategies there that we need to be thinking about? Yes, yeah, so the skin, um, first and foremost, is really a discussion that that is made with the breast surgeon. So it comes down to, you know, we're talking in this setting of where where we, you know, it's um, recommended to have a mastectomy. So in that setting, then you have options about whether to have a what's called a simple mastectomy and have no um, breast skin retained on the chest wall, or to have skin sparing mastectomy where the skin of the breast is retained but not the nipple. Or then you know a nipple sparing mastectomy where all of the breast skin is retained and the nipple as well, and so the strategic approach here is to think well it does depend what your breast size is as to what is recommended. Um, there can be opportunities if if there's not an invasive cancer situation, so for in the prophylactic setting, to actually do a breast reduction um, before the the mastectomy is performed, and that can actually lead to being able to preserve the nipple, even in someone who had nipples that were you know, very in a very dependent position after breastfeeding lots of children, for example. You know, whereas if we were to do a mastectomy at the same time and, and someone did have a totic breast and the nipple pointing very far down, that's not as easy to maintain or preserve that nipple from a purely from a, um, you know, where that nipple is going to end up on the new breast. Um, and so we sometimes, you know, have these conversations about, you know, even doing a, a breast reduction before, you know, in this in the setting of, um of doing a, a non-urgent uh, breast, breast reconstruction or a delayed breast reconstruction. So you have a bit more time to make some of these decisions. Often that's not the case. A lot of women, you know, when they find out they have breast cancer, there's, you know, there's a number of steps they need to go through just to clear the cancer. But it is, there are strategies even in that circumstance for trying to preserve as much natural breast tissue, sorry, natural um, breast skin and nipple where possible. Um, and that is, yeah, that's one of the strategies that really relates to the skin and the nipple. Those two are kind of intertwined. Yeah, as re as relates to to volume and symmetry, then it comes down to cup size. And and you know, we use cup size as this broad, loose term because 
you know, the very different cup sizes, as women know, choosing one bra from one brand versus one from another brand, you might have a totally different cup size. So there's no, you know, very uniform measure of cup size, but I think it's a good starting point for a conversation about what makes someone feel whole, you know, breasts change a lot throughout the course of some a woman's life from being you know a child to an adolescent to breastfeeding mum you know to um, menopausal and so these these there is no one you know right breast size for that particular woman at that stage in her life but I think it's about coming up with at the time of the cancer diagnosis and at the time of that treatment what's going to make that person feel whole you know and then within the realms of what's possible with their own tissue um, how can we achieve that and that's all about understanding a person and what their goals are and, and coming up with the strategy that enables us to achieve that volume. Now, the strategy in some instances might be that there's not enough tissue to get that volume straight away, and we might have to add more volume later, say with fat grafting. Um, and that's the process where we actually suck out some fat from another part of the body, purify it, and then inject it. So that can be used as an adjunct to the, to the DEP flap operation um, to achieve a bigger volume. Likewise, if the, the tissue ends up being too big after the first surgery, we can have a strategy to reduce it at the time of the, of the refinement stage or the second stage. So understanding what volume we're aiming for can, can really help strategize to get to that point. But it, it may be that a second procedure is needed to, to achieve that. Okay. So that's really how that relates to volume. And you've used a term before, which I thought was really great, actually. It's not always one and done. Um, and it's acknowledging that there may be more than one surgery, reconstructive surgery, that's needed to achieve the optimal results that a woman wants. Yeah, I think that's, and I, and I think it takes the pressure in a little a little ways off, you know, that one surgery, you know, a woman waking up and looking down and thinking, oh my God, this is my one chance to to feel whole. And often it's bruised and you know, a little bit, there might be some bumpy, lumpy, bumpy bits, you know, um, because of the way the mastectomy was done or the flap, you know, you can see an edge of it or something. But we inevitably, I mean, a lot of that improves with time and just with healing and scarring internally and so on. But we can also optimise that with little refinements um, that are much simpler than the, than the first surgery. So, yeah, I discussed that at our first consultation. I put that on the table as as something which um, is you know, very commonly performed and, and it, you know, Women who've gone through that will know it's kind of a walk in the park versus the, the first surgery, which is a bigger undertaking. Great. Yeah, thank you. And it's important to to note there as well, I think, that that second, if you want to call it second phase or revision or refinement surgery, that is something that is covered through Medicare, isn't it? Yeah, so there's still all of, all of this is considered reconstructive. It's not cosmetic, um, even if we're doing refinements on something that already looks pretty good it's still not considered cosmetic because you know the, the purpose of it is to reconstruct the breast um and so yeah that you know the things like nip, having nipples reconstructed or even having the nipples tattooed you know a lot of that is is covered um and so it shouldn't lead to huge out-of-pockets for, for those refinement stages obviously we've talked a bit about public versus private and out-of-pockets in, in prior things and we can probably get into access and equality of access at a, at a later stage during your pods. But I think, you know, the, the, the simple message is that this is available in the public system uh, at no cost. It's just it might not be as convenient. Great. Thank you. Thanks. And I just want to just go back a little bit, Joe, if I can, because I think it is a really important um, point to make that when we're talking about the optimal breast reconstruction, obviously that's always 
with consideration to what the cancer treatment is going to be, isn't it? That's always, if it's somebody's had a breast cancer diagnosis, um, that that has to be in relation to that, doesn't it? The cancer, the treatment yeah. for the cancer comes first. Primary. Absolutely. Primary. Yeah. So it's, it's, it's definitely something where we'll be in close communication you know, with the breast surgeon and the breast surgeon might say, look, the cancer is quite close to the nipple. We can't preserve the nipple safely. And then we don't talk about nipple preservation in that circumstance. You know, it's sort of a, a lot of the times that's not the case and, the, and the, the, the tumors are usually not that close to the nipple and you can get a margin and you could preserve a nipple in, in, in a lot of cases. Um, but it's, um, it's definitely the case that we kind of treat the cancer first and foremost and then decide on, on, on reconstruction as following on from that. Um, and, you know, but it, it, with regards to strategies as well, we talked a bit about sensation. You know, I think it's, um, it definitely is part of that conversation with the breast surgeon as well, because, you know, good sensation probably comes from good mastectomy, first and foremost. If the nerves can be preserved at the time of mastectomy, that's always going to be better than what I can do with reconstruction. Um, but in a lot of cases, even with, um, you know, dedicated, careful looking for nerves, we still have to cut them because they do run through the breast gland. And then the nerves can be um, actually tagged and preserved for, you know, the reconstructive part of the procedure where we are able to join up the nerve tissue from the chest wall to the reconstructive tissue from the tummy. And that's, you know, a relatively new thing and something I guess we'll, we'll probably, you know, have a proper pod on because it's, it's, it's some really interesting things we're finding. But I'll, I'll, I'll put one anecdote in now, which I think is fascinating, that we've been doing nipple tattooing in women that have had skin-sparing mastectomies and so the area that we're tattooing is actually abdominal skin that shouldn't have any sensation if, if resensation didn't work. And now we're finding that it's too sore to do because the nipples have so much sensation. Wow. So it's pretty amazing. It is. Um, it's really amazing because actually I don't have a, a sensation on my dear uh, reconstructed nipple. And I was thinking, well, at least when I get tattooed, which I will be having done. It won't hurt. Yeah, it won't hurt. Yeah. <laughs> I know, and I, I think we might have to sort of move the tattooing a bit sooner so we don't, you know, as the nerves are regenerating, we don't want to do it too late now that we know that they, they that it comes back. Um, but I think it's a good sign that we're onto something that that women are getting that sensation there to, to the point where, yeah, we, we've got to get that that tattooing done quick, smart. Yeah. And um, just a note for listeners there, I am going to be talking to Dr. Cindy Mack, breast surgeon, along with Joe about sensation, resensation, um, nerve preservation um, with a, a mastectomy and Dieppe reconstruction in a pod in the future. And I just think that's fascinating, Joe, that really moving on to obviously primary uh, cancer treatment is, you know, the primary focus there, but really starting to look at the quality of life. And I think you've mentioned it before, the functionality of the breast, you know, is, you know, there's a sexual function to it with regards to sensation. Absolutely. Yeah, no, and, and really this has been driven by patients and like, you know, you, you know, it's, um, it's something that, that both Cindy and I became switched on to through advocates like yourself and Terry Kuti. And I think that's a testament to, you know, the community that you guys are delivering that that we can have, have access to this kind of real-time feedback as to what we actually provide. Yeah, great. And thank you for listening to that feedback as well and taking that on board and exploring those options because I know we will talk about this in the pod a bit more, but you actually explored that option, I think, possibly during COVID when it was very limited uh, how you could access that information. Yeah, that's true. 
But I mean, just at the same time, was that's when we found out about the tummy, um, you know, innovations regarding motor nerve preservation, and that sort of led us down a similar pathway of discovery and, and exploration. And I think it's um, I'm loving it. You know, we've we've um, really having some great great outcomes, and and not having to have that real abdominal um, sort of. You know, I, I think in the past I've seen women kind of grieve the loss of some function of their abdomen after that, the deep flap operation or the tram flap operation, which I saw most of the time during my training. And and I don't see that anymore. You know, the tummy is actually in some ways enhanced or improved in function. Um, there is a little bit of numbness that is still, um, it's still there at the end of the day. But a lot of women, if they know about that beforehand, can, can cope with that because the contour looks lovely. You know, we've often have um, some, some excess tummy tissue there, myself included, that not, that I'm not proud of, but you know it's something that you know can be a silver lining on a grey cloud, um, and yeah, I, I definitely like using the same principles that I learned in my cosmetic training to apply to the reconstructive setting and in a, in a much more kind of um, to me fulfilling way. Yeah, and I think it's really interesting as well that that area is being looked at because I know for myself, but also for for the women, that a lot of focus is see on the breast, you know, but Sometimes it's little talked about what the consequence is around the abdomen and particularly for women who've maybe had a double uh, mastectomy and reconstruction that can almost result in a kind of the, the main square or oblong of their body having no sensation. So it is really, you know, a, for you to be doing these developments, it is really going to have a big impact on women's uh, how they feel literally <laughs> after their reconstruction. Yeah, I think I, I think about that all the time about what a natural feeling is, because a natural feeling is not just how it feels to touch, but it's also, you know, how it feels to sleep and how it feels to you know, have intercourse and how, you know, how all of the things that we do. And, and, and so, you know, I think that's, you know, drives me, you know, an example, for example, in the sensation front is, is um, even if we're doing a nipple sparing mastectomy, I still am not sure that we shouldn't be innovating the DF lab. Um, because there's sensors inside that tissue that sits within the breast. And so one of the things I want to know is if, if by doing that, restoring the sensation to the tissue that's actually internal, do women get a better sense when the breast is moving, you know, that, that it's actually there and, and, and get that feedback, um, you know, just if you're going for a run or if you're, you, know, you don't have sort of an ice bag that's sitting on your chest moving up and down like some women tell me after having had expanders or implants. Um, but they don't get any of that feedback of, the, of what's sitting on their chest. Even though it may look nice, the form might be good. You know, one of the downsides of implants is that it's not warm, doesn't have sensation, um, and it's not it's not natural to touch. So, you know, that that whole you know kind of natural feeling. There's so many levels to it, and I think you know, I think if we can get a natural feeling you know, 90 or 90% of the way there or 95, let's say, I'm never going to be able to restore 100% normal feeling. But if we can improve and improve and improve that extra percentage to the point where someone might even forget they had breast cancer, then that, that would be great. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, you know, let's strive for it. You know, it's the incremental changes, which I think we've talked about before, isn't it? It's not necessarily always these leaps and bounds, but the incremental changes that are happening and have happened that you contribute to and are part of really do you know, make an impact on women's lives. Yeah, I think we're only we're at that point now where it can only be incremental. You know, so many of like the people who preceded me have done such amazing, you know, advancements that we just we we just stand on their shoulders. You know, but it, it definitely um, 
uh, it definitely is the case that I think by listening to the people who, who are living through these conditions at, at the time they're going through them and understanding more and more about that, then we can make those improvements. Yeah, yeah. I'd, I'd have to say from a personal point of view, I was once on the beach and I was just changing out of my bikini into something else and um, my reconstructed nipple I didn't realise was on show because I couldn't feel any air on it or anything like that and I didn't realise until... Um, yeah, until somebody told me. <laughs> so it's a bit mortified, really. But um, yeah, so even that, you know, the feeling of air on on your skin is is just it, for me anyway. It's not what it what it was before, and indicative of um, yeah, of of having everything That's else. <laughs> yeah, no, it's it definitely those things, those little cues that, that you don't uh, you take for granted. I guess is oh. what you're saying. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So let's start to talk about the abdomen in a bit more detail. And before we did the pod, you sent me through a list of some things that we might talk about. And there's a couple of things on there that's got a lot of words in there. So we have the abdominal motor nerve preservation, which I kind of understand all those words, but we can talk about what does that actually mean. And then there's something else, which is the rectus muscle devarication repair. Now, I only know three out of four of those words. So maybe we could talk about, (laughs) firstly, the abdominal motor nerve preservation. Sure, yeah. So this is something that, you know, really um, is that the crux of why we do why we do DEP instead of TRAM now and what we're trying to achieve, which is that the core muscles, you know, really need to function well for us to, to live a daily life. Sounds obvious. But, you know, if, if you have weakness that develops as a result of this type of surgery, say removing some of that core muscle, which is known as the rectus abdominis muscle, which is the six-pack muscle, and if you take that out and you replace it with an inanimate structure like a mesh, um, then you can't really do a, a sit-up after this kind of operation. And not just a sit-up if you want to, you know, get a nice strong six-pack, but just getting out of bed um, in the morning, like, you know, s- sitting up rather than rolling out of bed. You know, simple, like, really important daily activities that we take for granted. You know, if you lose that muscle function, it, it, it you notice it. It affects your life. And so I don't... We believe that we should be doing this operation if we're going to really make that area weak and we should look for something else that doesn't do that. But, you know, the strategies that we employ to preserve the, the motor nerves, the nerves that actually travel to the muscle and give it its electrical activity that make it contract. You know, if you cut through those nerves and you don't repair them or if you, um, if you remove the muscle that those nerves are going to, you won't have a good muscle function after this operation. You may not develop a bulge because the surgeon who, who did that may have put a mesh and that is a sort of a strength layer that stops the tissue from internal, internal tissue from bulging out. But you don't need a mesh if your abdominal muscles are strong and your core muscle is strong. And so my preference is to not use a mesh and we don't use any, any mesh. Um, and, you know, we don't see any bulge, uh, very low rates of bulge um, when we have been able to fully preserve the abdominal muscles. And we also, you know, well, that other sort of um, phrase that you mentioned, the rectus muscle devarication repair, relates to sometimes there's a bit of a weak abdominal muscle to begin with. And the abdominal muscles can also be separated from the midline after having babies. Now, that's, that's universal. The, the abdominal muscles always devaricate or, or, or separate when, uh, when you have a baby because the baby has to kind of push forward at some point. Now, a lot of there's this phrase that people say like, "Oh, you don't show very early," 
Have you heard that? You know, people yeah. talk about showing when, when someone shows and the showing is really when the muscles slip sideways and the baby pops out between the two muscles. Before then, the muscles are still in, in together in the midline. And so, the, you know, your baby's kicking forward and pushing, um, but the, the muscle, the abdominal wall hasn't given way yet. And so you're still kind of, you know, have a, a relatively normal abdominal contour. But as the baby grows, inevitably, and with all that amniotic fluid and everything, the, the muscles eventually give way and slip to the sides. So with a devarication repair, we're, we're really treating those women where the muscles haven't come back together in the midline. It might be just genetic, but that didn't happen in your case. You might have just had one baby and that still didn't come back together all the way. Or you could have had twins, you know, or triplets even, or, you know, or multiple births, you know, sort of three or four kids, um, singletons. So it's, it's very common that it's there. Sometimes it's only a few centimeters. But the reason I bring it up is because we routinely strengthen that at the time of doing the tummy closure. And whether it's because we needed to strengthen, you know, where we've actually made the incision in the abdominal wall to get access to the blood vessels that supply the tissue that we use to make the breasts or just to strength, just to kind of um, make everything tighter and less risk of bulging. Um, it's a routinely employed strategy to kind of address that. And we, we look at it on the CT scan so you always know if it's there. You can also feel it yourself if you put your fingers in the midline and try and do a sit-up. You can feel there's a bit of you know, a weakness in there sometimes. Um, but that's uh, that's kind of exactly what that is. Okay, great. Thank you. So divarication is separation. Yeah, separation, just a fancy medical word. Great. Thank you for that. Lots of lots of big words there. But And thank you for breaking that down and explaining that for us. And just to pick up as well, you've mentioned the bulge there. Um, if somebody was to experience some bulge after they'd had their surgery, is that something that can be um, addressed in revision or the se second surgery? Absolutely, yeah. It isn't a, isn't a small surgery. It sort of requires making that abdominal incision again and, and going internally and, and placating the, the uh, fascia, the muscle fascia that sits, sort of the strength layer that sits over the top of the muscle. Oftentimes we re reinforce that and then we put a mesh over the top that can kind of um, be an extra waterproofing layer and hold that bulge at bay. Um, it's not common that we need to do that. And sometimes it's just a matter of doing a bit more abdominal exercising um, and giving it time for those muscles to switch back on. Um, so we do have kind of a, we can talk, I think another good pod would be about rehab after and maybe prehab before um, to try and optimize the muscle function you know, leading into and coming out of these operations. Um, but yeah, certainly over time, the muscles do improve, but it can be the case that you do need to do a bulge repair. And it's, you know, it's knowing as well, isn't it? That sometimes that, you know, there may be things that happen from surgery, but discussions with your surgeon following up from that and ask them about it. Yeah, we've talked about the CT angiogram before. Yeah. And, you know, I think it's a really important time. And I often get the scan up and actually you know, with my patients, show them where their blood vessels are going and say, this is the strategy I'm going to use to not damage your blood vessels. Um, so not damage your nerves, your motor nerves, because I need to get the blood vessels out. I need to do that because the breast is the primary goal, but I don't want to do it in a way that makes your abdominal muscles weak. And so sometimes it happens that we see really small blood vessels, really tiny perforators, and I would have to take muscle to make that, that breast work. And I might say, well, in your circumstance, I wouldn't recommend having a bilateral. For example, okay. I would probably recommend a unilateral because your, your vessels on one side are really good, but the other side are not great. Um, that's an example of a strategy. Um, or I might say we should use a surgical robot. 
you know, or we should use another tool. That means I don't have to do as much damage um, to the abdominal wall. So, you know, every there's a strategy for just about every scenario, yeah. I think, is the message to take home. And there's lots there that you've mentioned that we've talked about previously and we are going to talk too. But just to just to pick up there on the CT uh, angiogram that you mentioned, that's a check that happens, isn't it, to make sure somebody has uh, the blood vessels that can support a DEP reconstruction? Yeah, it's important to know, A, that the blood vessels haven't been damaged in any prior surgeries, like maybe a caesarean section or um, gallbladder surgery or an appendix or a hysterectomy or you'd be amazed the number of surgeries people have had and they forget to tell you about it um so you always want to just do a double check and make sure those blood vessels are good before you go in there and, and, and know what you're looking for but also how the blood vessel travels through the muscle is really important sometimes it takes a really direct course and other times it's a long meandering course and those scenarios mean different things for how the muscle is going to work afterwards so it's really important to know that beforehand so i can give you know as best indication of what to expect Great, great. Thank you. And you mentioned their robotic assisted DF. I just want to do a little shout out for an Instagram live that we did do about that a few months ago at the end of uh, 2022. And we will probably do a pod about it. But just a shout out to anyone on my Instagram account, which is Luan Laurie Woods. Um, and on Joe's account, I think it's shared across there as well. There is an Instagram live about a robotic assisted DF, and we talk about that in detail there. But I am I feel sure that we will be talking about that again in the future as another strategy. It's very exciting. Incremental changes again, but you know, having a great impact from what you've told me anecdotally um for patients. So thank you so much, Joe. There's um there's lots there to be thinking about, isn't there? Yeah, I think that's a, that's that's true, and I think that's why you know it's really important that 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 women who really want to kind of take part in their own decision making, and you know some some don't, some just want to be kind of told what to do, and because they're so exhausted and there's there's so much in the treatment, and that that's okay. But a lot of women do, and a lot of women have, have turned to you know um, different support groups and social media channels to try and get this information. But I think you know the more we can put out there, and, and hopefully. Um, Give people that that little that little bit of information they need to kind of ask the question to have that you know does this apply to me can i potentially preserve my nipples or can i potentially preserve my motor nerves and you know the more those conversations are had the better for everyone yeah i think yeah and i think you've said before i love this term where you said you know because it, it may not always be possible but at least let your surgeon know what your hopes and your dreams are for your reconstruction if you can be open with them and let them know then that starts the dialogue to whether that is possible or if there is another strategy that needs to be taken um and i just think that sums it up perfectly yeah no exactly right i think that's uh, hopes and dreams is where we where we want to we want to play in this field because it, ultimately this is the if there can be such a thing you know the, the more joyful part of the reconstruction you know i really i like to be part of this process because it is that the coming out of the journey you know the journey is this loaded word that some people hate and other people you know kind of accept but it is a long process and it is um it is nice to see smiling faces at the end of the long road and, and something where you know you can actually feel good about yourself and, and have that you know kind of as a as a goal where you may not feel that was possible when you're going in um but it, it definitely see it all the time and it's really it's a good thing that's why I do what I do yeah. it's really a good and joyful part of my work yeah. and do it so wonderfully not just the surgery but you know raising awareness and taking part in pods and lives and you know really 
opening up the, what you do to uh, to patients so that they can make that informed decision. Because I know you're extremely, extremely busy. So thank you so much for all the work that you do, not just surgically, but also in the in the awareness raising and, you know, taking back, taking on the feedback rather of what patients are saying that improves their lives. So thank you so much, Joe. No, it's a pleasure, honestly. It's not, and it's great to be talking to you as well about it. And congrats on everything you're doing. And congrats on your first part. I oh, think you're, thank uh, you. Think you <laughs> thank you. And really personally, thank you so much. You've been so encouraging and such a support that, you know, as I said earlier in the pod, as I've evolved as a patient advocate for breast reconstruction, I feel like I've been nudged a little bit in a good way by you. And thank you so much for that. So thanks so much. I will list some uh, resources that people might find useful, some of the lives that we've talked about, um, but also some resources with relation to the different types of reconstruction, as well as Joe's website. I'll put that in the episode notes. But thanks, everyone, for listening. Um, No one wants to find themselves in a position where they're considering having a mastectomy and what their reconstruction options are off. Afterwards. But hopefully the rewritten me pod can help if you're in that position so that you can make the decision that is right for you. And before we finish, what I'm going to be doing at the end of each podcast, and I just sprung this on Joe just a few minutes before actually he came on. Um, the, excuse me, the rewritten me podcast is a play on the word unwritten. That's from the lyrics of the Natasha Bedingfield song, Unwritten, which helped me reframe how I viewed my breast cancer diagnosis. And I actually talk about that in a bit more detail in the first episode that I put out at the end of 2022. So at the end of each podcast, I'm going to be asking guests to read a lyric, just a line or two from a song that means something to them or they think is relevant to what we've been talking about. Now, I'm not asking them to sing it. I'm just going to ask them to read that out. So... Joe, I appreciate that I literally, I wrote you a message saying <laughs> you need to think about a lyric and I forgot to send, I forgot to press the button send. So um, what's the lyric that you've, that you've brought for us today? So I found one that um, is from a track that I knew uh, it's from the old Baz Luhrmann, Romeo and Juliet movie. And the song was Everybody's Free, um, in bracket, to wear sunscreen. And it, the song tells you, you know, wear sunscreen, do one thing every day that scares you, floss, keep old love letters and get to know your, pa- your parents. The, the line I like is, whatever you do, don't congratulate yourself too much or berate yourself either. Your choice is a half chance, so are everybody else's. Oh, wow. I, that was I love it. Appropriate. It, yeah. it absolutely is. And can I just tell you, it's like one of my favourite films. I love Baz Luhrmann and it's one of my favourite songs as well. So... Beautiful. Thank you so much. Nice. No problem. problem. I'm going to fit. That was really fun. Well, yeah. Thanks. Happy you're, you're welcome. You're so welcome. And yeah, it's been fabulous to have you. Thank you so much. Um, we're going to wrap up now. I want to say to everybody, please let me know on socials if you have any questions or if there's any topics that you'd like me to cover and subscribe the pod. We're going to be on Spotify, Apple, we're on Google and wherever I can get the pod onto. Um, Yeah, please subscribe and share. And thank you so much for joining us. Thank you for listening to the Rewritten Me podcast, produced on the traditional lands of the Kamaregal people of the Gurungai tribe of the Eora Nation. If you found any of the content upsetting, please reach out and get help. Breast Cancer Network Australia have a free confidential helpline, 1-800-500-258. 
and Beyond Blue have a range of free resources online at beyondblue.org.au or you can call them on 1300 224 636. And a reminder that the information in this podcast does not constitute medical advice. For personalised medical advice, you should seek a consult with a FRAX qualified surgeon or an equally qualified surgeon in your country.